Good morning, Storehouse McAllen. I hope that you are doing well and are caffeinated this morning. Uh, I am not preaching, but I would love to introduce you to our guest preacher this morning. Before I do that, I got a couple of announcements for you. To begin our time, our first announcement is regarding the Back to School Drive. This takes place with our partnership alongside of Taylor Christian School in South McAllen. I want to encourage you to visit our website so that you can learn more about how to donate school supplies for the upcoming school year as we come alongside of uh, World Gospel Mission and Taylor Christian School to best provide for the families in South McAllen that are gearing up for the upcoming school year. Announcement number two is just a quick reminder on something I touched on last week. Our tentative reopening date for the Sunday morning gathering is August 23rd. We're going to be shooting for our 10.30 a.m. service at the incubator. Make sure that you're marking your calendars. We will provide you with all of the details and information that you need when it comes to August 23rd at the incubator. That's our tentative shooting date for our reopening at Storehouse McAllen. And the last announcement, one of the ways in which you and I can respond to the preached word this morning is by giving. Giving is not only a, a demonstration of transformation, it is an act of grace and worship toward what God has done for us in Christ. Jesus was the one who uh, demonstrated the ultimate amount of generosity by giving himself for sinners. And so this is one way in which we do this uh, by responding bonding uh, in giving generously. If you have been giving, thank you so much. If you have not, let me encourage you to do so by setting up an account at storehousemcallen.com. And if you are new this morning, please hear me out. We do not want your money. We are just so glad that you are here with us, worshiping alongside us. All right, Storehouse, well, those are all of your announcements this morning. I want to segue into introducing you to our guest preacher this morning. This is Pastor Chris Elliott from Logos Community Church in Harlingen. Pastor Chris serves as the executive pastor at Logos. Uh, I have been immensely blessed by Pastor Chris's leadership and influence. He is a dear friend to me. His family is super, super awesome. Uh, he loves Jesus. He is passionate about God's word, and he is passionate about challenging the people of God through his word. And so I hope that you are encouraged this morning by Pastor Chris from Logos Community Church in Harlingen. Uh, good morning, Storehouse. Pastor Chris here from Logos Community Church. And man, as always, we love Marco, love you guys. Uh, it's a joy to, to be with you this morning, to, to bring you God's word. Um, please, please join me in prayer as we, as we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, and we love you, so thankful for you, uh, and your people come to you this morning very needy, uh, and needing your power, and needing your grace, uh, and needing peace and comfort. Uh, Lord, we, we need you to and encourage your people this morning. There are some that have had very difficult, stressful, challenging weeks. Lord, we need... We need you to expose sin, mold and shape your people using your word. Uh, Lord, we, we need your grace this morning to 
Help us to be the men, the women that you've called us to be, created us to be, and are inviting us to be, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would move mightily amongst your people. Speak to your people, we ask. Teach us. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God's been uh, doing the same thing for a very long time. It's been this way since the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. You know that great chapter where God shows up on the scene? Well, there wasn't really a scene yet because God didn't create anything. But He says, hey, let there be light. Boom, there was light. He created the trees and the chipmunks and the birds and all the animals and... What's interesting is that he created all of these animals, these sea creatures, these birds, all with the natural ability to reproduce according to their kind. God God created Adam and Eve and he gave them the uh, mandate and he said, hey, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And what we see is trees do it, animals do it, insects do it, sea creatures and birds, and people do it, reproducing according to their kind. And it works much the same way spiritually in the church. That's how the church is multiplied. That's, that's what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We see some very practical principles for how God builds His church. What we really see in chapter 2 is we see a, a, a portrait of a disciple maker. The, the, the key ingredients, those identifying birthmarks of, of the kind of man or woman that God uses. This is how God's been doing it for the last 2,000 years and it's how God is going to continue to do it in the future. In this letter, we've seen that the, the Apostle Paul, he, he's an old man by now. He's probably in his late 60s, early 70s, nearing the end of his life. He's been suffering persecution under the Roman Emperor Nero. He's, he's been arrested, put on a ship, sent for Rome, and, and we find him sitting in a prison. Unlike prison today, he didn't have a whole lot to do. There's no cable television He's got a whole lot of time to think, a whole lot of time to reflect on, on his life and on his ministry. And it seems that he, he realizes, man, that his, that his life, that his ministry, that it's all kind of coming to a close and, and it's about time for him to, to go home to be with the Lord. And so he takes a little bit of that precious time that he's got left and, and he writes his, his young protege, young Timothy, writes him a letter. You know, Timothy, he's been entrusted with a, a sacred charge. He's been entrusted with the gospel ministry. And, and so Paul tells him, he said, hey, you need to fan the flame of the spiritual gift that you've been given through preaching the gospel. And he encourages him, hey, don't be ashamed of Jesus, but stand on the gospel. Stand firm on the gospel. He tells him to, to guard the, the good deposit of the gospel, to do all that he can to, to protect it so that as he passes it along to others, he can do it intact. He can do it pure, unchanged, the same way that he was given it by Paul. Up until now in, in this letter, Paul has, has really been just laying the groundwork for chapter 2 because, hey, now it's time to push forward with the gospel. Hey, it's not just that Timothy needs to stand on the gospel. He wasn't just to protect the gospel. It's now time to advance it. 
And what Paul does in this chapter is he provides us six little vignettes or six pictures, six metaphors of when you take all of these things together, what they do is they provide just a beautiful, wonderful, great picture of the portrait of a disciple maker, of the one that God uses to advance the gospel. You know, discipleship is not, not just advanced Christianity. It, it, it's not just a, a program option at the local church, something that I can sign up for every once in a while. This is something that should be the primary focus of every church. And it should be the primary focus of every Christian. Back from the Great Commission, that's what we've all been called to. We've all been called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus. We're not just called to be a disciple as if that were even an option when we're saved. We're not just called to, to be a disciple that's growing and maturing in the relationship with Jesus. That's all necessary. That's all good. What we're called to is to be the kind of disciple that knows how to go out and make other disciples. That know how to go out and make other disciples. And you've got this multiplication effect and on and on it goes. And that's how God grows and multiplies His church through the advance of the gospel. And Paul starts chapter 2 by, by challenging young Timothy to, to focus on the essentials. Hey, don't get sidetracked. It's really easy in the church to get sidetracked on peripheral things. He says, hey, Timothy... What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that same stuff to faithful men who are also going to be able to teach others. Hey, think back to, to how I invested in you, how I poured myself into you. Think back to how I discipled and mentored you. Go do the same thing with others. Think back of that process and how much you are more like Jesus today. I want you to go do that same thing with other men so that they in turn can go do the, the same thing with others. All of us in this cycle, this process of making disciples who are making disciples of Jesus. It's being a disciple-making disciple. That's what we've been called to. And so he gives him six different pictures to remind him, to, to help him to, to better understand what it looks like to, to be a disciple-maker. He starts and he, and he says that, hey, being a, a disciple maker is kind of like being a good soldier. You know, when, when you're saved, you, you have to remember that you've been enlisted. You're not a civilian any longer. It, it's not going to be a life of leisure and comforts. It's been said before that it's kind of like the difference between going on a voyage on a cruise ship and, and going on a voyage on a, on a battleship. There's a war that's being waged outside against you. There's casualties in this war. Your, your ultimate allegiance is to your commander-in-chief, to Jesus. It's going to be a life of hardship at times. There's going to be some suffering that's going to be involved. It's going to require that you be disciplined. There's going to be lots of training. And as a soldier of Jesus Christ, don't get distracted by trivial pursuits. You've got to have the, the right priorities the priorities of your commander-in-chief, the right agenda. And you've got to be laser-focused on the mission at hand. He also said that being a disciple-maker is also kind of like being a dedicated athlete. Rigorous training is going to be involved. Self-discipline is going to be 
required. You can't just sit around and, and be a couch potato all the time and, and eat bonbons and fritos and, and think that you're going to be able to get up tomorrow morning and compete at a high level. Abstinence, restraint from the harmful effects of the, the worldly pleasures is essential. And you've got to keep in mind that this is a, a long race, and so you've got to have a long-range view in mind. Long-range view of yourself, of your training, of the race at hand. It's not just a short sprint, but a long-distance marathon. We've got to keep in mind that, hey, there are rules that are in place for training, for competing. We're not just flying by the seat of our pants. We've devoted ourselves completely and at great cost at times. We've devoted ourselves to that single goal of winning the race that's been set before us. It's the kind of focus, it drives my schedule, it drives my priorities, it drives everything I do in life. Paul also said that man, being a disciple maker is kind of like being a hardworking farmer. And if you, if you know farmers, it's not very glamorous most of the time. It's not very exciting. It's really hard work. A lot of long hours. Difficult work. Backbreaking kind of work. The farmer, he's up early in the morning, and yet he's still working late at night. He's out working, working in all of the seasons of life. It doesn't matter if it's the blistering cold, the blazing heat of summer. He's out working during the rainy season, and he's out there trying to till up the ground during the drought. There's a daily commitment that we see with this guy. This guy is so faithful. He's constantly walking around the fields. He, he's looking for weeds so that he can pull them up. He's looking for animals and insects that he can get rid of. It could destroy the crop. And with all three of these, these first pictures that, that Paul has given us, they're, they're, they're all working towards a goal. They're, they're, there's a, a single purpose that he has in mind. And, and what is that purpose? Well, he tells us in 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's it. It's for the sake of the elect. That's Paul's purpose. That's what drives him as a, as a good soldier, as a dedicated athlete as a hard-working farmer, and, he, and he's challenging Timothy to, to have that same kind of purpose. And, and that should be our purpose as well as disciple-makers through the advance of the gospel for the sake of the elect. And that brings us to our passage this morning in 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 26. And this is where we're going to find our, our last three, three metaphors of, of a portrait of a disciple-maker. There's three. There's the unashamed worker who knows how to properly handle God's Word. There's a clean vessel who properly handles worldly temptation. And there's a gentle servant who properly handles opposition. Join me as, as we begin in verse 14, chapter 2, 2 Timothy. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people to more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Paul tells Timothy, he says, Hey, if you're going to be faithful to what the Lord's called you to, if you're going to see fruit as a disciple maker, then you're going to have to know how to rightly handle God's Word. There's just no other way around it. And the idea that he gives is is of being a skilled craftsman, of being somebody who has perfected the trade that they're involved in. Let me ask you, why do you think Why do you think that Scripture was given to us by God? I know we we haven't been there yet, but but in chapter 3, Paul gives us the answer, and he gives gives three. Let me read it in, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 to 17. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He he mentions three, and, and they're all built on Scripture. It leads to salvation, it trains them towards maturity, and it sends them out on mission. But notice that it, that it all begins and ends with Scripture. Scripture leads to salvation, where they become disciples. Scripture helps to to train them up from being spiritual infants to maturity in Christ. And then what Scripture does is it sends them out on mission to build and establish the church by making more disciples. There's a flow, there's a direction that we see here. There's a pattern, and Scripture is at the root of it all. And Paul tells Timothy that disciple-makers have to know how to handle God's Word properly. You've got to be a skilled craftsman with it. Why why does Paul, why does he put such a a strong emphasis on handling it correctly? Look what he says. He says, hey, do your best. Hey, hey, Timothy, give your your maximum best effort to this. Why does he do that? Well, it's no big secret that there is an awful lot of bad teaching out there today. You know, this teaching, it's not true to the text. It misrepresents the gospel. It leads people astray. It doesn't build up or establish the church. It doesn't make genuine disciples of Jesus. It's nothing but garbage. And it was the same way in Paul's day. And so he tells Timothy that, hey, in order to be a skilled craftsman, it's going to take a lot of hard work. There's not any shortcuts to this. You don't go from being an apprentice one day to being a journeyman the next, or even a week or a month from then. It's going to take time. You're going to have to give your life to this. You're going to have to study it. You're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to meditate on it. You're going to have to saturate your heart and your mind with it. You're going to have to memorize it. You're going to have to pray through it. And you're going to have to continue to do all of that over and over. You're going to have to give your life to this. You remember the, uh, the trade that Paul was involved in, what, what he did for a living to, to kind of help support himself as he was traveling around the world spreading the gospel? Hey, he, was a, he was a tent maker. 
And as a, as a, as a tent maker, I'm sure he had a, a pretty good eye where, man, he could cut things in a, in a pretty straight line. The problem with leather is you don't get any second chances. You've got to get it right the first cut. You're not going to be able to pull and stretch it if you make a mistake. and You're not going to be able to veer off to the left or to the right. It's got to be straight. Otherwise, these pieces just aren't going to fit together. It's not going to be square. It'd be like trying to, to do the same thing with fabric if you were going to try to make a shirt by hand. You'd end up with, with one sleeve that would be longer than the other, or you'd have one side of the collar that would be wider than the other. It would be just a huge mess. It's the same with the Word of God. You've got to be able to cut the Word of God. You've got to be able to handle it correctly. Otherwise, it's not going to fit together, and all you're going to have is nothing but a huge mess on your hands. What he's talking about here is a plumb line. He's trying to provide Timothy with a plumb line on how to do that, and he provides some, some clues in the text. What does it look like to handle God's Word properly? In verse 14, he, he tells Timothy, Hey, don't quarrel about words. Hey, hey don't get sidetracked and, and let yourself get caught up fighting over the minutia. That stuff doesn't matter. Jesus said the, the same thing to the Pharisees. He said, You guys can strain on a gnat and swallow a camel. He said, you guys can run circles around all the minutiae, all the, those minute details of the text, but you completely miss the entire point of the passage. What, what good is that? Keep the, the main thing the main thing. Stay centered on the gospel. And then in verse 16, he, he says to avoid irreverent babble. Paul is he's calling for Timothy to avoid getting into meaningless and endless debates with unbelievers. I mean, maybe you've heard the question, how many angels can fit on the head of a needle? <laughs> Who cares? Can, can God, can He make a rock so big that even God couldn't lift it? I mean, that, that is just silliness. You know, it, it might be able to fill you with pride and, and make you s seem or sound clever. It may make you feel like a, a great philosopher or great intellectual to, to get in those kind of debates, but it doesn't really do any good. Paul says, hey, don't get bogged down in debating such foolishness. Be on guard against that stuff. Don't get swept up and, and waste your time in senseless theological speculation. Stay focused on what's important. The gospel is what's primary. Call them to repentance. Warn them of what's coming. Warn them of judgment and wrath because of sin. But stay focused on the gospel. John Calvin would say this about that passage. He said, Indulging in godless chatter is like a deep whirlpool from which there is no escape and into which men plunge deeper and deeper. It's like quicksand. Can't get out of it. Verse 17 and 18. Paul also tells Timothy that, hey, you've got to be able to detect and deal with heresy, with, with false teachers and with false teaching. It's, it's one thing to, to argue and debate the little things. And even if they may, may happen to be your, your little pet peeves, but it's quite another thing to allow someone to 
openly teach things that aren't true in the church, to teach heresy. You, you've got to confront it. You, you can't let that stuff go on. You've got to root it out. You've got to get rid of it. This is, this is worth dividing over. This is worth going to war over. Because if you allow false teachers to run around with their false teaching, it's going to spread like gangrene. It's going to be like a cancer. It's going to be toxic. It's going to spread and it's tragically going to infect others in the body and it's going to lead them astray. Apparently, Hymenaeus and Philetus were doing just that. These guys had wandered off course. They had gone astray from the truth. What They were believing and they were teaching something that wasn't true about the resurrection. They had denied the resurrection of the body. Why is that such a big deal? If they get the other things right, why, why is this such a big deal? Well, it's because the resurrection is foundational to the Christian faith. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that if there wasn't a resurrection, your faith's in vain. That sounds pretty serious. If there's no resurrection, then you're still in your sins. Your faith is futile and you've got no hope. And if you've got no hope, then you Christians are the most pitiable of all people. It's a foundational issue. It's something that had to be confronted. In essence, what they were doing is they were undermining the gospel. They were ripping the heart out of the, the Christian faith. And if you remove one of the essential doctrines out of the heart of the Christian faith, then it all comes tumbling down. And what they were doing was so serious that, that Paul, he's got to get Timothy's attention. He said, hey, you can't let that stuff go on. Don't get sidetracked by, by arguing over the minutiae or debating about foolish things. Don't lose focus. You've got to stay vigilant. You've got to root out false doctrine and, and deal with it quickly. You've got to deal with it radically when you find it. It can't be allowed to remain because it's so dangerous. Now, we know that a, a true disciple of Jesus Christ would never wander off. I mean, Jesus said in John 10 that, hey, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and, and they shall never perish. He also said that all those that the Father has given me, I'll not lose any. So a Christian, a genuine Christian is not going to wander off course where he's not going to be saved anymore because there is no more secure place on earth than in the hands of Jesus. A genuine disciple will never wander off from the faith. But that does not mean that false teaching isn't dangerous. The, the danger of false teaching is that it distorts and perverts the true gospel. And normally it sounds pretty good to the ear. And, and in the wake of destruction, all it really does is it creates false disciples with a false sense of security. They're, they're believing in a Jesus that isn't real, just a figment of their imagination. I believe that's, that's probably what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 7, talking about counterfeit Christians. Saying, hey, we did all of these things in your name. We prophesied, we cast out demons, many other mighty works. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, depart from me for I never knew you. This is going to be the most shocked group of people ever. Somehow they've believed a false gospel, had become false disciples and had a false sense of security. Except in that day, it's going to be too late. Jesus says, depart from me. And Paul understands how serious that this threat is. And so he wants Timothy to stay focused and keep the main thing the main thing. The gospel. 
The next metaphor that, that he provides is that of a, of a clean vessel. Verses 19 to 23. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with, with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So not only is Timothy to, to give his maximum effort, his best efforts in handling God's Word correctly, so that he's not going to be ashamed at how he handles God's Word, but he's also got to be a clean vessel who can handle temptation properly. You know, God, God chooses to do His work through holy people. He just does. I, I think that's the, the principle here. And so Timothy, being a skilled craftsman in handling God's Word, that's vitally important. But it's not the only thing that matters. Character matters too. That, I think that's part of the reason why Moses spent 40 years shepherding sheep on the backside of the desert. Not just anybody could, could deliver God's people from Egypt. God was looking for the kind of man with the right kind of character who could lead His people. That's why He spent 40 years working on His character. Who, who you are drives all that you do. Character will ultimately drive your behavior. That's why character is so important. We know that, that Timothy was a, a young pastor and temptation seems to be something that he was struggling with now now obviously when we say that he was struggling with temptation what we're not saying is that he was involved in some sort of gross or immoral sin because that would have disqualified him and, and the apostle paul would have removed him from pastoring the church of ephesus so we're not saying that but from what we do know about him from from other letters from this letter it appears that he was struggling with the, the desires that are characteristic with, with being young and being inexperienced. You see, there's, there's the, the temptation that, that every Christian faces in this world because we live in a fallen world. And then there's the temptation that Christian leaders face as they shepherd God's, shepherd God's flock. And, and this young Timothy, what he's doing is he's battling both of these. As a leader, there's the tendency towards being impatient with others. Being impatient for, for how long it takes for things to happen, for, for change to happen in the church, for sanctification to happen. There's the, the tendency towards needing to win every argument, to, to be shown as the smartest guy in the room, or the most capable, or the most qualified. There's the need to, to always be shown as being right, so people won't question your judgment in the future. There's the tendency to, to get too easily distracted and sidetracked by peripheral things. Timothy at times seems a, a little bit unsettled in his convictions. He would drift towards being ashamed of things. As a leader, this guy's struggling. 
And as a Christian, there's the constant struggle against sin that every child of God has to deal with. And, and Paul uses a, a, a very interesting word in verse 21. He, he uses the word useful, to be useful to the master of the house. You see, there, there are lots of instruments available to the master, but not all of them are useful. The church is a mixed bag of all kinds of people. Some are useful and others, may quite simply being honest, aren't very useful at all. Some are saved, others are not. Some are distracted by the world, others are focused on the mission. Some are walking in repentance, others are holding on to sin. Some are pouring themselves out and investing their lives into others. Others are just consuming everything the church has to offer. The church has within it a mixed bag of all kinds of people. Let me just ask you, do you want to be useful to God? Do you want to be useful to God? Paul tells Timothy that, hey, there's going to be some self-cleaning that's going to be involved if you want to be useful to God. He's going to have to take some action on some things in his life. And in this context, I think what Paul is talking about is the kind of self-cleaning that's going to cause him to flee from the false teachers, to stay away from them. Don't linger too, too long around that filth. Don't, don't be contaminated by them. Don't be contaminated. Don't allow yourself to be contaminated by their bad doctrine. Stay tuned, laser focused, stay true to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. But I also think that Paul has a second kind of, of self-cleaning in mind that, that deals with sin. He, he tells Timothy to, to do two things. It, it's not an either or. It's not saying, hey, do this or do that. It's a both and. Flee one thing and pursue another. He says, flee. Run from it. Sprint as fast as you can away from that stuff. You can't have that kind of stuff in the church. False teachers, you can't have them around the church. Bad doctrine isn't something you can let linger. It's harmful. It's deadly. And you should also run as fast as you can from sin, from impurity. I don't think there's any better pattern of what this looks like than Joseph in the Old Testament when he was confronted by Potiphar's wife who desperately wanted to have sex with her. And what did he do? Did he just kind of linger around? Was he kind of looking to see if anybody was watching? No, he just dropped everything and ran. Jesus was also pretty explicit when He said, Hey, if your eye is causing you to sin, and rip it out. Sin is deadly. It's nothing to be played with. Sin is very contagious. You can't let it run rampant in a church. That's why we've got to deal with it radically and immediately when we find it. I think it was, was Pastor Jeff. That's at least who I heard it from. I mean, he once said that Man, you, you best be killing sin or it be killing you. Sin's got to be dealt with because it's such a serious issue. Let me ask you, how do you respond when God confronts your sin with the truth of His Word? Do you, do you adjust your life to truth or is your tendency to just rationalize it away? Are you quick to confess it? Do, do you repent and, and turn from it? Or do you try to minimize it and, and suggest that it's not really a big deal? 
Do, do you ignore it and, and just hope it goes away? Are, are you broken when you're brought face to face with the, the depravity of your own heart? Or, or do you just blame others? You see, there, there's a worldly response to sin that we're all too familiar with. We deflect it, we minimize it, we blame others, we rationalize it, we try to justify it, and all what that really does, that just hardens our hearts and causes us to drift further from the Lord. When God confronts you of sin, there should be brokenness. There, there should be confessing that you are agreeing with God about your sin. There should be repentance. There should be a turning away from sin and back towards Jesus. There should be deep humility. There, there should be deep gratitude. And there should be tremendous appreciation for the grace of God. But it's, it's not enough just to run from something. As important as that is, it's important to run from the wrong things. But we've also got to be running towards something, and that's what he does. It, this is not just a, a, a casual strolling around. Paul's talking about a zealous pursuit. He mentions four things that, that young Timothy is supposed to be pursuing. He says, first of all, hey, pursue righteousness. He's talking about obedience here, right conduct. He's to pursue the, the kind of life that, that honors and glorifies God. One, one that is setting a godly example of obedience in all things. He's talking about consistency. He's living in harmony with God's Word. He, he's constantly striving to do all that he can to do what is right, what he knows to be right in God's eyes. He, he's looking closely at God's Word and he's adjusting his life to what he finds in God's Word. He also says to pursue faith. He's talking about, about trust, about confidence, about loyalty, about consistency. The, the more capable he is as a craftsman of God's Word, the more clearly he's going to be able to understand who God is. The more clearly he is going to be able to understand everything that God accomplished and provided for him on the cross, the better he's going to understand his own identity in light of those things. And all of that is going to drive him to a deeper and more abiding trust in God and His Word. He says, pursue love. He's to, he's to have a growing affection for others, especially God's people, the church. This, this is the, the kind of love that is characterized by sacrifice, by selfless service, giving much to others in time, times of need when we find it. This is what, what God's people should be about, who have been on the receiving end of such extravagant love. How can they not but love others like that? This is something that, that the, the, the Christian, that the child of God should be known for. And it's something that should be growing stronger over time. He also says to pursue peace. He, he's to do all that he can to, to be in harmony with others, especially with God's people. Romans 12, 18 says, Man, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with everyone. So, again, how can the child of God, who because of the cross of Jesus Christ is now at peace, used to be at war, but he's now at peace with God, how can he not but pursue peace with others? 
And how can he not? Let me, let me ask you, what happens when you begin to, to live like this? When you begin to, to saturate your mind with God's Word? When you become a, a skilled craftsman of God's Word and your life begins to be shaped by it? When you, you are consistently putting sin to death in your life? When you're, you're trusting God and, and you are a, a, a vessel of honor that He's using to help build and establish His church? Do you know what happens when you begin to live like that? You become a target. That's what happens. Your enemy is going to do all that he can to, to bring persecution and opposition into your life. Jesus said as much in the Gospels. And we should expect it. We should be caught off guard when it happens. But we should be prepared to respond when it does. That's what Paul challenges Timothy to do next in our, our sixth little picture to be a gentle servant in the face of opposition. That's what he says in verses 23 to 26. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. <laughs> In short, what he says is, hey, don't quarrel, be pastoral. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I know that's cheesy, but uh, I do think that, man, that gets to the heart of what Paul is saying here. He says, hey, be Christ-like in the face of opposition. Think back to how Jesus responded. In Isaiah 42, verse 3, he says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. He says also in Isaiah 53, verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet... He opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a, a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And that's such a beautiful picture. I mean, Jesus here, he's got all this power, all this might, and yet he humbled himself and responded with such gentleness. But Paul is telling Timothy that, hey, when opposition comes, man, don't get into arguments. Don't seek vengeance. Don't let yourself become bitter. Don't respond with insults. Don't let yourself get dragged into a fight. What's the point of doing all of that? What good does it do? What does it accomplish? It may be very hard in the heat of the moment, but remember that their ultimate problem isn't you. It's with God. They're under the snare of the devil. They're held captive. They're blind. The struggle is ultimately not against flesh and blood. It's spiritual in nature. It's not the opposition. The, the Christian disciple-maker's got to keep in mind that he's engaged in spiritual warfare. He, and he's on the front lines. And more than anything else, what the opposition needs is truth. But truth delivered with gentleness. And I think from a heart of compassion. 
Well, what he's, what he's really talking about here more than anything else is attitude. He's saying, hey, Timothy, when opposition comes, keep your attitude in check. They need to hear the truth of the gospel. They need to hear the declaration of the gospel. They need to hear all of that stuff. And they need to see the demonstration of the gospel at work in you as you deliver it. They don't need aggression. They don't need anger. Being Christ-like means, means consistently being kind no matter what other people are like. Regardless of what they say, regardless of what they do, don't allow yourself to get offended. Be quick to forgive. Patiently endure. Be compassionate. And respond with truth. We're not saying compromise the truth because we're never going to compromise the truth. We're never going to sacrifice truth for unity. But respond with gentleness. I, I think there's tremendous power in that kind of response. Don't you think? I mean, being gentle and kind in the face of opposition. It's the, it's the kind of power that rests completely in the sovereignty of God because our hope is that our kind and gentle response just might be the kind of, of visible witness that they're seeing the gospel in action that God might use to grant them repentance, to, to lead them to a knowledge of the truth. That's what the, the portrait of a disciple maker looks like from 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's the call of, of the church at large to, to help train up and, and equip. But it's, the, it's also the call of the individual Christian as well. That, that's what we're to be about. Advancing the gospel by being disciple making disciples of Jesus. So man, let me ask you, do you want to be a useful vessel? Useful to the master of the house. Useful to his kingdom work. Then you're going to have to remember that the call for discipleship is for you. It's for every Christian. Every child of God. Be a disciple who's growing. Be a disciple who's maturing. Who's becoming more like Jesus. But remember that you've also been called to be a disciple-making disciple. And remember that, that being a disciple maker is kind of like being a good soldier. You've got to be laser focused on the mission at hand. It's like being a dedicated athlete. He's disciplined and well trained for the race ahead. He's like a, a, a hard working farmer because he's faithful to the task. He's also like a, an unashamed craftsman because he can properly handle God's word. He's like a clean vessel because he's holy and pure from sin. And he's like a gentle servant because he can respond to opposition in a godly, gentle, patient, and loving manner. Let, let me just encourage you. Start where you are. Share what you know. Give what you have. You don't have to know all the answers. It's a, I don't know all the answers. And that's okay. Find someone or find a few and begin to meet. Begin to pray together. Begin to dig in God's, into God's Word together. Dig into each other's life together. Deal with sin together. Be accountable to each other. Live life together. Live it in community and live it all in pursuit of Jesus. And stick with it. Stick with it. Let me encourage you, be about the Father's business and go make disciples. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word to us this morning. For, for the encouragement that we find in Your Word. For, for the challenges that we see. Much, much like young Timothy, I mean, we face tremendous challenges today. Challenges in the church and, and in the world. From our own flesh. In the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in the midst of, would you, would you work these things out in us? We ask, we beg, that, that we be those kind of disciples. We, we want to be, be vessels that are useful to you. Give us, give us that kind of heart, that, that kind of focus. Help us to, to have the kind of discipline that it's going to require. Help us to be faithful to You, to Your Word. Lord, we love You and we thank You and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.